Uh, hey, it's Ross Bain with Roleplaying Public Radio. This is uh, RPPR special. Uh, this is the Dresden Files Season 1 uh, campaign postmortem from Tabletop Tales. Uh, and uh, with us, oh, I have four of the, the, well, three, yeah, four, including me and the GM, uh, four mm-hmm. cast members of it. Mm-hmm. There were two, way too many people to get everybody involved, because no. scheduling problems, the, those the are real. be hot and sweaty. Uh, <laughs> well, just no. getting everybody together at the same place at the same time would and be ridiculous. It wouldn't be a very productive postmortem discussion, because yeah. everyone would want to comment on everything. Yeah, which is fine, but yeah, there's only so many things that go around. But uh, Bill, first off, you uh, have yep. a bit of business to... Oh, right. Well, yeah. I just also, given the uh, particular, you know, makeup of the table, I think we've managed to choose <laughs> the most confusing vocal similarity group possible uh, because I'm here. And I'm here. And then on the other side of the gender, uh, also note that we're at near gender parity on an RPPR recording. Yay! But we have. I'm here. And I'm here. So. I like how no one said their names. That was really helpful. That's the whole point. Yeah. Uh, We have Bill, Melissa, Dad, and Michelle. And then, (laughs) of course, me. So I just wanted, yeah, to get the names in there. So when I'm taking notes, I'm sure I get the right tags. (laughs) Right. Uh, Because you don't know how to tell everybody's voices apart either. (laughs) Sometimes. Okay, sometimes there were games where someone will not talk for like five minutes and they'll be like, why didn't you tag this person? Because I listened to the first four minutes and he didn't speak. <laughs> so I'm like, say something. Uh, so that, something. That, yeah, something. Uh, but anyways, yeah. Something. <laughs> something. You guys are awful. Something. <laughs> yeah, who's what? Can you uh, so yeah, we could we could do a whole thing on this, but uh, maybe we should do talk about the Dresden Files because we have the first what? ten episodes up uh, on Tabletop Tales. You can listen to them all. Uh, we have a lot. Hopefully, of fun. we are three or four episodes away from having season two in the ten. So, yeah, so we'll we'll get more of those out. Um, yeah, so Dresden Files set in Springfield, Missouri, uh, based on the same setting of the novels uh, mm-hmm. that were written by Jim Butcher. But we uh, Dan. Uh, has been GMing this, and he came up with his own take on what the Dresden verse uh, is. That the name for it? I mean, yeah, yeah Dresden verse. Sure, why not? Uh, I, well, I don't know. I mean, there's. I'm yeah, sure. I, I've, seen, I've seen that word somewhere. The fan yeah. name. Yeah, I think like if you go to the TV tropes. Where? Yeah, where did this supernatural Springfield uh, come from? The campaign concept? Because I know it's, you posted a forum or a, a thread on the RPPR forums uh, a couple well, years ago. Thousands of yeah. years ago. <laughs> well, to be perfectly honest, I realized that. If I wanted to run a Dresden Files game, I would be forced to do one of two things. One, I'd either have to run it in Chicago, and <laughs> you don't do that. Because that's, that's where the novels take place for the yeah. most part. Because, or you have to do city creation as per laid out in the book. Which, despite my best efforts on trying to get city creation done, that's asking a lot of people on this podcast to expend one too many Uggs worth of effort. <laughs> To do anything collaborative, especially on screen, you know, some people are more interested than others. But, yeah. but not everyone in the group, so. yeah. which is yeah. important if you're right. going to do it. Apparently. So I figured that. <laughs> so I figured that at the very least, if I can't get us to do city creation from scratch, I can at least draw on a common source of knowledge, and then you, we can just flavor in all the supernatural elements we want. And so that's why I picked Springfield. Okay. And so then it's like, alright, what are the creepy supernatural things of Springfield? Well, Hammond's Tower is the most ominous building in the Springfield skyline, so why not use that as the focal point? If ominous skyline. equals phallic. Tall, sometimes. We don't have yeah. very many tall buildings. It's monolith-esque. Yes, yeah. yes. for us. It is, for it is the only standards. thing on the skyline. I yeah. Big and black. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's... Yeah, I said monolithic, like, I mean... <laughs> I think it's one of the tallest buildings in Springfield. It's, if not, yeah, it's, it's tallest got to be. In the state, yeah. Or the highest evolution. Well, well, not, evolution? Evolution. Elevation. Jesus. Elevation. Elevation. Mother of God. <laughs> You've been playing too much Pokemon Go. <laughs> Maybe. Um, but yeah, it's the tallest. What are all the tall buildings in Kansas City and St. Louis down in the river bottoms? Yes. That's exactly what it is. Oh, because we're on a plateau. Yes, we are. <sighs> Geography. Sorry. Yeah. Yep. Geography's a thing. Right. Uh, so yeah. So um, <laughs> that's statistics from like twelve years ago. So don't quote me on it. Now. All right. About it. <laughs> I'm going. To so you took that initial Hammond idea uh, of using Hammond Towers as the headquarters for mm-hmm. uh, Obelisk. Obelisk. Uh, and Obelisk. Was this based on Archer, or is this just like like there was some Archer? themes in there, especially yeah. because Tom was involved in the early parts of the discussion as to. Yeah what a supernatural organization in Springfield would look like. Uh, 
and so he wanted it to have very strong archer themes, which wasn't that hard to pin in. But no. then once it's all nice. the characters. Yeah. Once all the character concepts got locked in, it became very clearly that, yeah, we weren't going to do satire, espionage themes. Everybody else brought the grimdark? Yeah. Right. <laughs> so. Well, I mean, espionage isn't really a big thing in the Dresden Files, anyways. It's more monster it's, fighting than investigation. Which are. Uh, just political espionage, who, not like yeah. true espionage. Right. Yeah. But that's for, like, an established faction, if you're happy. Right. Yeah, the concept is an independent agency. Yeah, yeah, um, right. So you started the thread on the forums. You talked about it for a while. There was uh, a Much little gap between a two-year gap. Post, yeah, yeah okay. two-year gap. <laughs> uh, so I was not sitting on these uh, podcasts for two years, um, and it kind of once you finally got your schedule, it, it, we we uh, started yeah. with a character creation. To concept. give the listeners at yeah. home that haven't heard me talk about this before, to give you an example of for what was going on in those two years. I was working a job that for the week of Thanksgiving, I worked 84 hours that week. And then the following week, when everyone was supposedly back in town and was able to help, I ended up working 96. (laughs) So... There was no time for gaming. Yeah. There was no time for sleeping. So... There was no time for anything. There was a week straight he didn't even poop. <laughs> no, no, no. Pooping did happen because that was one of the few things I could get away with stepping off the floor <laughs> and having a moment to myself. You're getting paid to poop. It's the American dream. Yes. That's true. Uh, so. so finally, new job. Yeah. Better schedule. Saturday's off. And then that, as soon as I figured out that that's what was going to happen, that's when I pushed really hard to get it scheduled and rolling. Yeah. So. And um, I know for me, uh, you just suggested a character idea for me on the forums. And I was like, yes, done. All right, you hit gold. Uh, Which was the teenage Slender Boy, uh, half human, half Slender Man. Uh, And I was like, yeah, that was Serially Teenager and Slender Man. What's not to love? Uh, (laughs) It's got Ross Payton written all over it. (laughs) It really does. I get to be a jerk in game. And uh, yeah. So that was it for me, but like uh, everybody else, where did your character ideas? I mean, oh, Michelle, God. you've read them. Yes. Most of the, are all of the novels? I've read all of them. Uh, um, so you actually know stuff, so you could. <laughs> I do, and that I think was the problem because I waffled about my character oh, many, many yeah. times. Because you first, had so many choices. So many. Like at first, I wanted to be a regular straight human, like uh, if you've read the novels, like Murphy. And, you know, the kind of cop character. And I was like, well, that's too similar to her, so I don't want to do that. And then I finally settled on something that's similar to, in the novels, Guard, who's one of the bodyguards and who happens to be a Valkyrie. But she's a bodyguard for Marcone. And so, kind of in the same vein, I mean, yeah, my character's a Valkyrie. So, I think Dan suggested that as one of the possibilities Yes, because we were looking for supernatural templates that you would yes. be okay with. Right. And that, that would be, make sense. Yes. And it also, I think at that point, everyone else had pretty much figured out their character. Yes, and that's what it was, is that we were trying to figure out a character because you would be the, you would be the only person in that group that had actually read all of the novels. Right. And so we were trying to figure out a character concept. to be the heavy. Well, the, the lore heavy. <laughs> right. So that way you could warn people to not do things. Don't go over like, the hey, word. Like, hey, don't touch the coin. You weren't there for that episode. I know. So, yes. And in fairness, the coin was inside of something. It couldn't be seen. This there was is true. no way any of the rest of us could know. This is true. Uh, that's actually a really interesting idea. And we'll talk more about like yeah. using an established setting for your game setting. But like matching your character concept to what you know about the setting is actually a right. really good idea. Because Teenage Lunar Boy is that all I need to know is what a surly teenager would know about that, right. which is nothing. Uh, and I've read the first novel, uh, but and I've read some wiki pages when, you know, you mentioned, like, the coin demon or whatever. I'm like, I'll Google that. And <laughs> we'll get up. Oh, okay, that's it. And that's it. Seems like that might be important. Oh, God. Yeah, that's, that's a bad thing. So, uh, turns out. Turns out. So that was that was pretty much it for me. Uh, Melissa, what about your character? Did you... Rosemary was actually inspired oh, by <laughs> a wonderful experience in my life. Okay. With... A real person named Rosemary. Okay. The Celtic lady. That is her name. Okay. Rosemary the Celtic lady. I do not know her last name. Okay. I only know her as Rosemary the Celtic lady, and I 
had the pleasure of sitting with her for two weeks while she trained me in the art of Reiki healing. Yes, I'm not making this up. This was a mandatory work experience that I had. Um, See, you get the fun training. Really, I have no idea how this happened. This was an anomaly in my life that I have yet to explain. Uh, But Rosemary left such an impression on me, and uh, I still have her books because they were given to us, not because I purchased them. And because when someone gives you gold, you don't throw it away. Yes. Yes. Um, But, so it was that particular experience and my experience of her as a person that made me really want to play her as a character because it was awesome. So at Melissa's, that, Melissa's soft selling here. She's really embodying the play what you know doctrine yeah. because I she am. is a certified level one Reiki. I am. Thanks to Rosemary the Celtic Lady <laughs> and no choice of my own. Although I will say it was an experience... It, that's all I can say about it. But <laughs> I have no disrespect meant to anyone who no. like, has sincerely held beliefs about you know Reiki healing. No, it's because just I am not. I am not an unbeliever in the experience. It was that she, as a person, left <laughs> such an impression. For instance, she only wears purple every day, all the time. I fail I to see what's wrong with There's that. I wrong too wrong have met David. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Why is David now Rosemary? <laughs> there, there was also a strong experience of that animals talked to her, which I thought was interesting, and ended added a certain flair to the training. Um, so yes, as you can imagine, this was such a fun real world experience that I thought, how can this not go well in Dresden? <laughs> and uh, that is have you heard one on. to the fun factory? Yeah. This is about a seven. Yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, the fun fact that this I said is way more positive seven. than the fun fact. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, um, it's it's not like Bingo's clown room or anything. Uh, yeah, for for those, yeah, the the fun factory is uh, a story Kale told about playing, trying to play the world of darkness in what turned out to be a meth lab. <laughs> that the people who lived there called it the fun factory. So, yours was much more positive. Than it, that. Was. It, it was. It uh, was a very positive yeah. experience. It was so, very little negative have you read a lot of the Dresden novels? I have read all of them. Okay, so you you were well informed about this. Well, subject. when I created Rosemary, I wasn't. I was about halfway through. Yeah, I think. Which is way more than me. So. Which yeah, um, but and, and, to, and Tom and Aaron. Yeah, enough right. to understand the world and how it works I think and have a good sure. idea. No, David's read them all. Okay, yeah. I like how it's either nothing or all of them. Well, no, that's why we can't. tried to yeah. mix that up a little. Yeah. yeah, you just can't stop halfway through. No, so I did. Well, I, I only read the first one. He only read the first one. Okay, well, okay. Once you get past the third one, that's not true. I gave him all three at once so he could get past the bads. You have to read at least the third novel. The first and second, really. The fourth. I wouldn't have done that. We're doing such a great job. Of selling this to people, <laughs> really I mean, you can just guys. Tell. It's fine. It's only like a thousand pages. You'll burn right through it. You really will. No, no, she get past the first and the second because it's the third. It's the fourth book where the meta plot starts to kick in. This is true. And I the think it's like the writing quality. The right. Yeah, the like first, that there is something that happens okay. there. The first one has you can tell there's compelling characters and there's some good funny you know and good good stuff and good story. And there's also the issue the writing of, quality just not quite there yet. Yeah, you don't actually like. Dresden as a person for the first couple of books. You're yeah. like, man, you're a white You know, bitch. honestly, <laughs> but it, gets over. it was the third one. It was when Michael shows up. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. oh, redeem, redemption. It gets, it oh, look at that. Okay. okay. Yeah. Uh, so that's how you, that, but going back to Rosemary, so right, right, you, yeah. you based, you, you had all, you had all this knowledge deciding you made yes. uh, Rosemary as this, you know, mystic, I guess. Yeah. Well, it's sort of a, the, the one thing that was sort of my own that was not you know, like the person that I was basing it on is the, yeah. the character concept and sort of my idea for how she would evolve is that Rosemary doesn't really understand or own her own magical ability at this point. To yeah. certain um, extent, I think it's ended up in play more that she just doesn't quite get life. Well, you know, there is that element. But also also that she's interacting with a whole lot of, like, magical stimuli all the time but doesn't really know what it means or where to put it or how to make sense of it. And so... That's kind of been a fun... Then in season two, she gets a mentor. I did, and it was fun. <laughs> she got best mentor, best more or less. Best mentor, okay. Yes, so obviously, knows. when we get to the season two, first yeah. we'll have to talk about that. Yes. Um, but, uh, Bill, yeah, you've had, you had a bit of more of a journey than the rest of us uh, yeah, in terms well, of characters. Um, well, it would be, without saying, it's like, I did try to do some of the collaborative world building by having like one-on-one conversations with people yeah. leading or up small to groups even. or small yeah. groups trying to figure out like what what does a supernatural Springfield mean to you when, yeah. when yeah. I say those words. 
And so, like, Bill's character came out of one of those conversations. Right. Uh, so, first off, the one thing for Season 2, I will go ahead and I guess, yeah, this doesn't transpire until Season 2, so mm-hmm. in the meta text sense, I will go ahead and spoil uh, Keith, my character from Season 1, exits after the finale, just becomes an NPC, and I do switch characters for reasons we'll talk about, basically. Nothing right. too big, but just, yeah. you know, it was, you know. The 90-day trial, and he just wasn't working out, so could you please <laughs> seek employment elsewhere? <laughs> um, and so he's, he's an adjunct professor at Evangel right now. Like you do. Like, um, but as for the actual origin, uh, this was actually a conversation between Dan and myself, and David was also there uh, at a place where a lot of important conversations <laughs> in RPPR happen, uh, the local hookah bar. Uh, the Albatross, yep. if you're ever in Springfield and need to smoke something. Go there. Legal. Go there. Yeah, um, no, yeah, it's, 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 it's a normal, it's a tobacco yeah. We're not bar. using slang or This isn't Denver. Drug. Yeah, this right. isn't Denver. Uh, we are law-abiding. We are in a plateau, though. Well, but, so yeah. is Denver. <laughs> but, yeah, we're not that high. In Denver, we just yes. don't have that, you know... Legal. Yeah, okay, moving on. (laughs) Uh, At any rate, I I forget the exact genesis, but I'm sort of cribbing from Melissa's history because... Okay, so Springfield is the headquarters for a relatively large, you know, Protestant denomination. denomination. And so somebody needed to play with that at least a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. And so given that the Assemblies of God is a very missionary-focused... Organization. The lead that Bill is bearing is that my parents were missionaries. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you want the RPPR conspiracy nuts to just put that pin on the, yeah, it's fine. the picture on the, it's fine. On the court. It's literally yeah. like You're welcome two to people. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. fine, yeah. They're, they're pretty, they're harmless. I mean. <laughs> so, like, given the interaction of faith and the supernatural in the Dresden verse, we're basically exploring, you know, what does Dresden-style faith in the supernatural mean for, you know, evangelical, more Protestant denominations? We get a lot of view of what it means from a Catholic point of view and the occasional from, like, sort of non-Western or, you know, also agnostic points of view, but very little for, you know, selfishly, but what does this mean from my experience in the world? And that's, a, that's an interesting point because, I mean, not limited to the Dresden Files, too, but I feel like a lot of, like, modern horror and urban fantasy, like, yeah, they go, they go to the Catholic Church because, hey, they've got Vatican, they've got exorcists, they've got all this stuff that I can woo all the symbolism right. uh, or symbology if I was yeah, Dan Brown uh, which isn't a yeah. thing but and uh, like a lot of but yeah the Protestants hey they exist right <laughs> but like especially and I would almost say intrinsically without getting too religious studies on this like a lot of Protestantism sort of is around a rejection of that kind of artifice not used as a negative term yeah but mm. just like you know, <laughs> what the, the Reformation the was about. Of, yeah, right. the symbolism yeah. and yeah. the use of the sacrament and like all of that stuff. Yeah. Between, Which is less exploitable. Yeah. I mean, right. kind Especially of intrinsically. Harry Dresden reminds the readers every book about how symbolism and methodology are super important to the functioning of magic. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the Protestant version of that, I think Bill's point is, is that it's there, it's just not as obvious to outsiders looking in. Right. And so exploring, there is symbolism there, but what is it for them? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to, you know, because in as much as Harry talks about it in terms of the symbolism, I think that's something to do with the limitations of a first-person narration on that. I think, like, if we were more frequently inside the head of, you know, Michael or Father Forthill or whatever... You know, we might get a different view of that. Like, Harry comes from a very symbolically driven tradition, so that's how he views it. But I don't completely believe from, you know, things that Butcher's actually said about it, Mm -hmm. that that's, you know, necessarily the way it works. Or at least not the only way it works. Right. Because, I mean, Um, Dresden's even said himself, he goes, this is the way it works for me. Right. I don't need to have all these, you know, Mm -hmm. symbols and doodads and I can do it without. It's just easier. Because this is the way I... It externalizes something internal. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
So other people, everyone does magic different. All that to say, I mean, I don't know. We can, like, people can actually listen to the episodes if they want the bits and pieces of, you know, who that character was. But I think the more interesting conversation ends up being why I decided to step away from that. And, like, with full apologies to Dan, like, I really didn't think ahead far enough. And I honestly end up feeling kind of like I set you up because I was, like, asking to explore something from a particular perspective. And, like, you're plenty open about the fact that you come from a Catholic background and that ended up not working because it ended up feeling like a very Catholic version of the AG and that's not a thing. (laughs) (laughs) It turns out. Well, that's an interesting point because um, and certainly one of the things is, you know, in any role-playing game, uh, not just you, whenever you make a character for a campaign, uh, hopefully you're trying to, like, tell the game master in some way, like, I want the game to have this kind of element. You know, whether it's Disney, I want to be a drow. Well, I, so I want to be the good drow or the renegade versus all the evil drow. I want to have that contrast. Or I want to, you know, or, like, I, my character's abilities are like this, so I'm the expert thief, and I want to, so I want to have lots of traps to deal with and shit like that. I want but, to do forging and <laughs> sniping. Okay. <laughs> uh, but in Fate especially, like, you build a character with these character, you know, aspects. And so you want to say, to a certain degree, I want the campaign themes to be about this. My character is half, you know, Changeling. He's half Slenderman. So obviously, Dad, you know, the Slenderman has to come in at some point. Or that the specter of that, you know, whether I'm going to be human. So that, that element has to come in there mm-hmm. at some point. So, uh, you know. The that's ma- going to ramp up pretty hard. If it, well, sure. If you haven't felt that ramp already. No, no. I, um, and. Spoopy. Everybody, you know, you're you were uh, so this game campaign was very ambitious. I feel because there were so many characters in there, and you you're trying to like wrap all of these personal themes to some degree, and sometimes it doesn't always work out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this sounds like that was an example. Yeah, but and not also, the lack of trying on your part. Yeah, I, I mean, like I completely own this was an accidental setup. Like I think. Especially, you put the effort in. Yeah. Especially because in my experience with the AG from my Catholic background <laughs> is very adversarial. Right. <laughs> I mean, I went through high school being told by the AG church I was going to hell on a fairly regular basis because I'm an idolater. So... Yeah. <laughs> like, turns out the Reformation left some scars. Yeah. 600 well, years later. I, I'm like, yeah. you know, I... I yeah. Uh, well, you know, when that's a regular conversation in your sophomore English class, yeah, it leaves an impression. And <laughs> like, I guess in my own defense, like, that's not like the church that I participate with. So, like, mm-hmm. yeah, people have different perspectives, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm just kind of like, uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, and, you know, suffice it to say. I, Oh, go ahead, Russ. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, this is just one example, but again, like going back to a more generic thing, like if you make a thief character and then like you, you, he's an expert trap guy, and it's you who just, oh, we're just going to be fighting orcs in a forest, or, you know, there's no traps, there's it's just, you know, it's actually a plane. He throws his picks in the air and turns yeah. and walks away. So it's like it's a failed thing because the game master had a different vision, and uh, how do you deal with that? Yeah. Uh, and, and I think we we just dealt with that pretty elegantly because yeah. Yeah, we got all the story trappings that Keith was going to have to deal with for the grand meta plot for Springfield and we ended up I ended up having an out to tack them onto a different character yeah and so you just kind of adjust yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah well and I also like I think I gave you a fair amount of warning that I would like to switch characters and, and so I just, you yeah, you yeah I just asked for you to bear with me until I can get to a good conclusion yeah which yeah. was perfectly cool so that's how you, yeah, so listen to this campaign to see how that's handled well, like when you have these kind of adjustments, because there's no table flips or anything. Right. And in full fairness to Dan, like the other point we were talking about this ahead of time is there was something else kind of, and not to hog too much mic time, but mm. like the other thing that happened is my character got introduced to like half of the group ahead of time as something he wasn't. I was portrayed as an analog of the Knight of the Cross, which was never the intention. Mm. And then, like, I don't know if it was intended comedically or, like, actually trying to bust my stuff, but... I think it was just people didn't realize... Even when I said it directly over and over... Yeah. (laughs) That that was not the intention of the character... It just didn't seem to be heard, so it seemed like a good time to make an exit. Yeah. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, 
Yeah, so sometimes those character arcs don't work very well. And, like, yeah. for my part, the Slender Boy, um, I mean, yeah, we, that's more of a slow burn, and that's going to be picking up more. In season one, I was just sort of establishing, getting used to, like, right. who he was and what Well, and that's what season one mostly was, yeah. is that establishing the setting in of itself. Because yeah. we've talked about how the Dresden campaign in Springfield's going to move forward after season two. Yeah. Like season one is the establishing shots. Season yeah. two is the plot. Season three is the moving plots further along. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. uh, and and that's the kind of thing you have to do, especially with so many moving parts in the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Too many. Parts. Like Michelle, like you felt your Valkyrie had sort of uh, at least some beginning, like getting a sense of what your character's arc is, the character's um, story, or who your character is. A little bit, I think. <laughs> I'm just thinking about this now. I think for my major issue is that I haven't done a whole lot of role playing, and oh yeah, that's right. This was like your first this role- is my first campaign ever. Yeah, so we've done one shots before, but sure. like after that one game, you don't have to think about that character again. Exactly, so. she's gone. He's yeah. gone. Whoever. And so yeah, this was the first time that I had to you know establish a character and have a thing. And so I don't know if I ever really felt that I found her voice or her real personality. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I probably would have been better off playing someone, you know, more like me. But I was <laughs> trying to play like a leader, mm-hmm. almost, and so I don't know how well that came off. I think finally by the end of, se- of season two, I've kind of got a handle on it a little well, better. Because we, you're, you're in a better team dynamic where you're, because yeah, we were trying to put you in a position where you would have some degree of authority, yes, and you could legitimize acting as the in character. Uh, Encyclopedia right. for when the PCs are about to do something horribly stupid. Uh, Which with Team War, you know, was a regular occurrence. I felt we had a good try. <laughs> well, you know, Ross, maybe she's not talking about You know, and I think that was my thing is that I don't know if I ever really got to be take charge, go ahead. I was more like, oh no, watch out. Yeah. Stay so, behind me. Yeah. Again, plan versus execution. Right. Well, sure. Not quite. Well, I think no anytime you make a character... with the player characters. Uh, <laughs> I know, for me, every time I make a character for a campaign, mm-hmm. like, it's always a little... Like, the version that gets played is a little... Even at the best, is a little different. Mm-hmm. And often very different from what winds right. up being. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, like, I remember in Eclipse Phase, I think most people remember my character Bartleby is, like, utter super crazy, but I, I felt he was like just a person who grew up in really bad circumstances and like didn't know better and by the end of it was kind of you know felt bad about all the bad things he had done so um so now I'm just imagining him like doing the Yorick monologue (laughs) to a bag full of cortical stuff like he said that was the sort of the beginning so you have to get get a sense of your character right um and certainly, this is a, this is probably your face, first time playing Fate too. Um, um, I played a little. I think okay. I did a one shot at Gen Con last year, but you know, at midnight. Well, yeah. Okay. And well, I know this was retention. Melissa. So, yeah. Well, and before yeah. we move on to that, just to give yeah. a quick recap of um, other character origins as best as I can remember. Yeah. David wanted to play a wizard, but he wanted to play an old wizard. But the way Dresden works is that the older a wizard is, the more powerful it is. So we had to make him a retired wizard, so he was old but no longer practicing unless he had to. Um, along with some other trappings that will hopefully pan out as his own plot arc progresses. Um, Eric wanted... Eric salvaged a character from a World of Darkness campaign, Changeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Changeling, the Lost, or Changeling? Yeah. The, the New World of Darkness. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Uh, that he had wanted to play but never felt got enough screen time, so he just wanted to see how that character would flesh out Okay. in a similar but not quite setting. Uh, uh, there is a big, I feel, crossover thematically between Dresden Files and the World of Darkness. Listening to Wob the Heck, yes. <laughs> it's just like yeah. executed in a moderately competent way. Oh, whoa. All right. Uh, I'm having a uh, Aaron was flip-flopping on a bunch of different character ideas, one of which is that he wanted to play kind of an artificer, yeah. like an Egon Spengler type of how to make technology work with magic, even though that's one of the tropes of the setting is that it doesn't. And so finally, on a whim, I was like, you know, we could just alter the changeling template to allow for 
um, ghosts, and you can play Danny Phantom, and then he was done. <laughs> and you dangled a children's cartoon in front of Aaron, and he bit. Uh, yeah, it's there was a bit. I wouldn't say like if I know what Aaron was going for, I would have built my character differently in terms of his abilities. Right. Because I felt there was a big crossover and that we were both well, stealthy. Right. And Aaron is shifting now. Yeah. And he's going to have to continue shifting. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, so is my character. Even too. my yeah. laughter yeah. is spoilers. Uh, uh, and then that just leaves Tom, I think, right? Mm. And Tom wanted Sean. to be a Tom character. Tom wanted to be a Tom character. I, I really do think this is one of the best realized Tom oh, yeah. characters, oh, though. Character. He's had, he, like, he has a good shtick with uh, talking to the lady in the oh head, so. Yeah, well, so. the first iteration of the Tom character was to be one of the only surviving members of the Red Court, who also happened to be a boy from Brazil who might have been a clone of Adolf Hitler and wanted to find a way to clone himself effectively so that the Hitler line could remain pure before he fully gave in to becoming a red court infected, becoming a red court vampire. So he wanted to play Krieger. And yeah. Starting the Red Rite. Let me check my card here. Uh, with the uh, Mint Map Squeedly Do free space, I have Tom Church bingo. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yes. Sorry, uh, we now but have to pause while, while that Dan yeah. has an aneurysm. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. And then Sean's character. And Sean's character, yeah, he comes in at the end. He just like, I want to play somebody that is useful for the party, but doesn't know much about the setting, and if, I, if this is his only appearance, I'm fine with it. So he cribbed one of the character templates straight out of Paranet papers, mm-hmm. and is just like, yeah, you, you can play this guy, but with an obelisk theme instead. Mm-hmm. So. Totally works. Yeah, he's working out well, pretty and, well. well. And to go back to him briefly, I mean, he changed that. I mean, he was yeah, he changed it to yeah. yeah. Uh, and he was that with your help? Backed up all the crazy there a little yeah. bit. No, he all he really did was yeah, drop the vampire part. He a little bit. He dropped the vampire Hitler part and replaced it with <laughs> crocodile goddess. So <laughs> okay, now wait. If I go vertical this time, <laughs> yes, I just need one more. <laughs> So, um, yeah, pretty good. I mean, oh, is the doctor rich? Yeah. He yes. Oh, okay, got it again. Double lingo. <laughs> oh my god, this is what so, we play. We love you, Tom. <laughs> You'll never listen to this, but uh, we love yeah, you no, anyway. We will. Uh, yeah, so we will. Um, but yeah, w- and the thing is that I feel one thing that really helped everybody because Melissa, again, this was uh, your first. This was not your first campaign, but your first campaign in Fate. Fate, yeah. 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 So that was a different experience. It was uh, a totally different experience. Uh, I do. I do remember you saying, like, when we were planning this, that you felt like the character creation vignettes were really helpful, and you getting used to the system and the or the game or your character. Or I feel like I was previously used to. Like in D and D and investigative systems like COC and things like that, you kind of figure out your character by doing, yeah. and uh, like the mechanisms of the game. But with Fate, like there isn't a lot of that, and so because it's so much more narratively based, the vignettes were really the only thing at the beginning that helped me feel like okay, I know what I'm doing. Okay, and kind of gave me something to figure out from. Um, when I felt a little bit lost, because I spent a lot of time at the beginning feeling really lost. Okay, like, how was that? Do things? Okay, so that was more like just learning the mechanics. Yeah, just learning okay. the mechanics, or like how to how to make decisions about things, and like how to rather than you know just saying I want to do this, like actually having an idea of how to do that within the game that makes sense. Okay, because um, I feel like even. I, I don't think I was the only one that kind of struggled with figuring out how to yeah. do things in Fate, and we had some record scratch moments of "I want to do this." Wait, how do we do that? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and I think this, like this is well, Dresden Files is one of the earliest iterations of Fate, and it's mm-hmm. certainly more complex than what it has wound up being. Like Fate Core and Fate Accelerated are much more stripped down. I mean, they're more abstract, which kind yeah. of makes it complex in a different way. Right. I mean, I think. One could also make the argument it's custom tailored to be that way. I, yeah. mean, I, I won't speak for Fred Hicks, but like right. there's a bunch of design blogs out there on it. Yeah. And like, well, and also as the I in trying to get a gear for this campaign, I was actively saying I want to play in Fate. I want to experience Fate. I want to be able to run it well because then so I need to experience it as much as possible. And the most experience I got with Fate was with Atomic Robo, and 
That was we've talked about that. Yeah, were you, in the, were you in the yeah, postmortem too? Yeah, yeah, and it's like that was not the best campaign to get a feel for how fate as a system works. Right. Well, that was yeah because that was also Aaron's first campaign uh, mm-hmm. in fate, and that was a different version of fate than what you were using. The atomic right. robo system mm-hmm. is. It's pretty complex, actually, and it's more abstracted in certain ways right. uh, than Dresden Files. Like, the refresh power system, uh, the Dresden Files, is pretty, like, it spells out exactly what those things, what you pay for, get mm-hmm. do. So, like, you, if you read all the stuff about what your abilities do, you, you have a good sense of what they can and can't do. Uh, where in, like, Atomic Robo, it's way more vague in some ways. It's way more vague, and you get to define what your powers do more often than not. Yeah, with the way super science works. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so it, it is it is uh, a challenge. Um, but like, yeah. if we haven't said yet, I mean, I said before we started recording, like I think Dresden and Fate is one of the best marriages of a fiction and game system mm-hmm. uh, that's out there, especially as you get deeper into it, because like now that you know we're through essentially everyone but Ross at this table is through their, <laughs> you know, section of of the second season, I think we're actually getting to the point where it's working and yeah. doing the things it wants to do, and it feels really cool. Mm-hmm. Like, the way... Because Dresden had... The fiction of Dresden has such a unique, but even beyond that, such a distinctive approach to magic that, like the fact that it actually manages to capture that in a way that casting a spell in Dresden the RPG ends up feeling like a spell in the fiction mm-hmm. yeah, is just, wow, that's lightning in a bottle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it feels really great to do that. Uh, I mean, that's true. Like, I, I feel like I mean, and Dresden Files is obviously based on, like, historical, hermetic, and, you know, occult magic mm-hmm. to a certain degree, like, mm-hmm. circles and rituals and, you know, true names and that kind of stuff. And it's based on, like, folklore, mm-hmm. you know, fairy tales and that kind of thing. So, like, you do feel like, there, you know, you make packs and deals with various beings, and there are very serious consequences for screwing that up. But at, uh, at yeah. the same time, and, like, not to contradict, but whatever, yeah. like, what Jim Butcher has kind of said about the intentions of... Dresden, the character, and the magic in general is that, like, he wants it to feel like he's just a worker in a force. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, Dresden is a plumber for magic. And it pulls Mm -hmm. that off. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, Whereas there are other people that make the magic look and feel more like an art. Right. Whereas Harry Dresden approaches it like a plumber. Yeah. Like a craftsman. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Like, get the job done the most straightforward way possible, yeah. Mm-hmm. But even then, the, that it's about bits and pieces of knowledge and, like, redirection of energy and force. And, mm-hmm. like. uh, yeah, so we used to talk more about, like, the, the, the mm-hmm. setting the game in a fictional universe that's very well established. I mean, there's quite a few novels and things mm-hmm. uh, out there, and so you have to sort of incorporate. And we touched on this earlier, you know, don't set... we. You don't want to set in Chicago, obviously. Um, and there haven't, like, you can use the organizations that are in there, mm-hmm. but you haven't used, and like, the, the factions, I guess. Right. But there hasn't been much else from the actual stuff in there, aside from the, those. The fact that the names exist. Yeah. And yeah. that's very deliberate, but that also, I feel, is also very true to the way the setting is established is that these are factions that are intended to organize global efforts. And in doing that, they're just, you know, they can't, the heavy hitters can't be everywhere at once. Right. And at the same time, like, yes, there is a meta plot going on in the Dresden books that probably as of now, because we're technically in a divergent timeline with how things are going to end up, uh, where they may or may not be influenced by what happens based on Word of Jim in future books. But at the same time, it's the, you know, you don't need to deal with Harry Dresden, because Harry Dresden has his own stuff to deal with right now. Well, yeah. Mm -hmm. And as long as I don't try to be like, well, what can happen? Let's see what you guys do when while Harry Dresden is doing this. And it's just like, no, that's not going to work. But that doesn't mean I can't do things like, well, the fake courts are interested in what you guys are up to. Right. The fact, yeah. Because the fake are technically capable of being in more than one place at a time, because that's just how powerful they are. Right. As also the Denarians, they're a worldwide organiz- they're a worldwide organization of thirty demons. 
that at any point in time you're never really sure how many of them are active. And Jim Butcher has not defined who all 30 of them are. So it's just like, these five are going to be relevant for my campaign. Mm -hmm. And they're going to be ones that I make up. And whether or not they become relevant later, that doesn't matter. So... Um. Yeah, so like Melissa or Michelle, mm -hmm. do you guys feel like there are any elements from the novels that you would like to see in the games? Or, like, do you feel... I mean, like, how do you feel the mix is right now? Uh, the Dan's original characters do not touch versus uh, <laughs> the established... Setting? I think I'm kind of glad that they don't, because if you if you bring yeah. in too much, then you get sucked into recreating something. Okay. Yes. That's um, a good point. And... You know, because like even when you're interacting with characters, where it's like, oh, you're based on so and so, then immediately you start filling in pieces and kind of lose the, not really the surprise, but sort of the the naturalness of figuring mm -hmm. it out. And so I kind of <laughs> like that it informs it, but not too much. And so you get to kind of experience well, it without prior knowledge. Right? And even still, like there's an adversary that I ripped, probably carbon copied straight out of one of the novels right. in terms of power set, but in how they were executing their plan, I was pulling, I was hoping that I achieved something different enough to make you guys engaging in second guessing what was going to happen, right. which I think I did. Well, and I think you, you have, like, there's been moments where you've pulled in things that were almost straight out of the book. But it's only been small pieces that ended up just being, like, fun. Like, oh, he, you know, that's there. That's neat. Oh, and it, yeah. But it wasn't, like, a major feature of the plot right. that, that spoiled More anything. like an Easter egg kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's well, not it's like, like, let's fight the, you know... Well, like, um, uh, I can't remember where season one ended and season two began. Black Court... Because we saw her. That was season two. That was season, season two. two. Okay, well, we won't talk Spoiler. about that. So there is a character, yeah, that I'm comes not in. Deleting that. But uh, <laughs> too late. No, it's fine. Um, I don't gives anything away. Yeah. But yeah, it, it it it's almost like just seeing, you know. Okay, well, we met a you know a, a black court vampire or something like that. We met a member of the mob. We met right. a denarian. But you didn't. Well, mean, I yeah. know what denarians can do. We met the Fomor. Okay, yeah. I know what the Fomor can do. Right. It doesn't. It didn't influence, yeah, how we... Well, you didn't meet the specific ones from the novels yeah. either. Yeah. yeah, right. Well, yeah. well it's like, people yeah. wouldn't play Tour to Realm-style games if there wasn't something fun about it, dysfunctional yeah. as they tend to be. And I think you did a great job of getting, like, the very atomic level of what's fun about that recognition without it mm -hmm. being, all right, everybody back on the tram. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Uh, so I feel, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I mean, I knowing very little about the setting comparatively, it felt fine to me. I couldn't tell what was original, what wasn't. So <laughs> yeah, uh, it, was a for all of it, yeah. it was it was a masterful setting. Uh, so, but I feel you know one common theme of this this first season of it was that you're everyone was sort of learning the ropes mm -hmm. in some way, whether it's mm -hmm. like learning how to do the same character session after session or learning the game system or uh, learning how to interact or run two tables basically learning how to GM all over again yeah uh, yeah because you've taken quite a break from uh, your mm -hmm. previous games yeah I, w I went from going on a very very long break of running games to I'm going to try to run two tables at once with the same meta plot yeah right that and I've done that and I don't do that regularly this uh, won't turn into a dumpster fire at all it, well, it, it hasn't, hasn't yeah. you know there were no dumpster fires there were there, fires. There were fires. And I think people... <laughs> one of them may have been in a dumpster. I wouldn't put that past right. anyone, including and, myself. And to be fair to dumpster fires, those are good fires because they're contained. Like, <laughs> a dumpster is designed to keep the fire there. It's not going to spread anywhere else. It keeps True. certain... You know, keeps the, the hobos warm, you know? It's, it's, a, it's a useful fire. Well, are you confusing dumpster with 55-gallon drum again? <laughs> they're both contained fires, like... <laughs> They're not an uncontained fire, like the right, Ospaten fire experts. <laughs> yes. Contained I, I, fire experts. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I just feel dumpster fires get a bad name when, <laughs> like, I if I if I had to choose where a fire would be, the dumpster would be like number three. I mean, a uh, gallon would be number two. I'm not sure where. Uh, it depends on where the number one anywhere but where I am. 
See, Dan knows where it is. If I'm in a dumpster, I don't want this to be some sort of trick to do anything. So, anyways, that was a bit of a diversion. But I just, again, dumpster fires, I feel, are unfairly maligned. It's the non dumpster fires you have to be worried about. This is Ross's soapbox for the evening. Soapbox's best soapbox. Uh Anyways, um, yeah, other campaign elements. Um, Yeah, I know, like, Part of this was also learning how to plot in terms of like uh, <laughs> for two plot? groups. Well, for two groups, which is a lot different because uh, yeah, you 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 deliberately kind of mix it between team guard and team face. But I feel like those specialties weren't by the end of season one. It felt like they were pretty interchangeable in terms of abilities because both had combat and social stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so no, we were still bereft of combat ability yeah, no combat. at the end of season one, which was the point I kept trying to remind people, and yeah. which their brains seemed impenetrable to absorbing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't just not combat in Dresden; yeah. like it's complicated. Yeah. yeah. No, uh, it turns out you can because we did. Also, yeah. it, it, there's just uh, one thing: if you if you if you're thinking of running Dresden Files as a role playing game. As a GM, um, you need to be familiar with how combat magic works, how evocation works, and you need to make sure that the person that wants to play an evocator actually is doing the homework. Because you need to... And there is homework. There is homework. Um, As usual, I will plug something I found online, and Ross, I'll try to get you this link and probably forget. Yeah. Uh, There is someone who's done about a nice seven-page rundown on what you actually need to do in terms of homework to do magic in Dresden. Oh, in the fate mechanics and stuff like that? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, that sounds useful. Yeah, I have not looked at that. I briefly looked at that. Section. I mean, the just long enough to nope. Yeah. Well, just like it's not my character concept, so I don't have to. <laughs> I can. I'm free. Uh, so, but no. Yeah. Now, Slender Boy has a Trinitite knife. This is true. Uh, oh, spoiler. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I can, well, that was pretty simple, though. I mean, yeah. in terms yeah. of uh, ability, it's just a knife. It's just a knife. Um, yeah. So. But yeah, towards the, yeah the first the beginning of the the campaign, certainly the character vignettes were very like energetic, very fun. But then the first session or two, they were sort of like getting used to figuring out what the pacing would be. But by the end of season one, especially like I, at least for Team Guar on my part, the <laughs> whole like uh, highway, uh, <laughs> yeah, the truck hijacking. That was fantastic. Yeah, that was fantastic. Oh, uh, I sadly was not there for the finale, but you yeah. know, the crossover. Uh, but it sounded like you were, you were, it was really picking up. It was like a really solid, like, yeah. Uh, and, mm-hmm. Part of that, yeah, it was just learning the ropes again. I guess. The point of the season one finale was, like I said, is to finalize making sure that you guys knew what the setting was and what the stakes were by establishing Obelisk Tower as kind of like a base to fall back to. Yeah. That it was, that it is a serviceable place where you guys can find a safe location because the more are coming. And they're here, and they're not playing nice with you anymore because you proved yourselves to be more annoying right. than ignoring would simply allow. Oh, whatever. Was there some, like, I mean, again, I'm not as familiar with the setting. Was the choice of the more as the primary antagonist year, or were there other ones that you could have chosen? Uh, the the or are they really the, 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 the point of the, the timeline of the fiction that I chose yeah. to set the campaign to start at is at a point where the more finally make a push. Okay. To try to grab more power in the grand scheme of the supernatural nations. And was that was that the most recent when you started the game, or is that like, it was close? It was close. It's still ongoing for one thing. The other thing is, as an antagonist in the series, they logically, but nonetheless, come out of nowhere. Yeah. Like yes. no one who is not incredibly knowledgeable knows about them as a thing. Mm-hmm. Like they know rumors. They. No speculation, but they've been so far removed from everything. There's no good intelligence on them. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so they, and they do, yeah. They they do seem to come out of nowhere. They're like, well, yeah. what kind of logical thing is this? Is it Fae? Well, not really. And is it vampire? No. Is it what is Neither it? Neither fish nor fowl. Yeah, right. Or really more fish. I, I mean, it's <laughs> in that situation. It is strangely a good execution of the giant space flea from nowhere trope. Yeah. That's true. Well, also, it's a good excuse to include deep ones. Yeah. Well, yeah. 
I mean, I mean yeah. right. there are there are things hinting at the meta plot that suggest that there's more to the that there's more of a deep one feel to the foam more than what Butcher. I certainly got that. Mm-hmm. Letting on from what you put in the game, yeah. Uh, Knowing deep ones, it's not like there's no subtlety there. Like yeah. it's it's right. very right. definitely that. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's more like you know they they found an opportunity. The power vacuum yeah. occurred. Right, like like not in a necessarily mythos sense, but in a what are the you know thematic mm-hmm. tropes of deep ones? They're absolutely that. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, cool. Um, what were some of your favorite moments uh, during the campaign? I know, obviously, for me, uh, I'm going to be very obvious and be like, must get friend at airport. Oh my god, that was uh, the best. I turned out to be really good at lying to cops. Uh, <laughs> and Are you sure? Did he tell you he was a cop? He, well, he was wearing a uniform and everything. I know there, there was one time we were coming back from Wilson's Creek. Yes, and, I had and to, you had the body of the necromancer oh that Misty right. headshotted. Uh, no, shot through the heart. Yeah. That's right. You're to blame. And you, she was to blame. Uh, literally, that oh, was. God, it was such a terrible moment. She got fate points for it and everything. You are yeah. still, until I the know. conclusion of season two, to blame. Uh, I, yes. So, to, yeah, those two things. moments where I got to just, you know, uh, bluff my way through cops and hmm. using my powers, I thought, I thought it was really the fun. The droids you're looking for. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you felt like yeah. you, you spec straight into Mastermind. Yeah, no, it was great. It was really fun. Uh, and I think everybody had a blast out of it. Uh, those, were, so those, were, those were the most... And just sneaking into the police station and telling that cop to buzz off and go to the airport to pick up his friend, which you've used. And I know you've hinted that that is going to come back as a reoccurring thing. Uh, and that's fine. That's friend. great. Yeah. Friend. Uh, friend. I love that. So. Are you friend? Um, Michelle, what were, were oh, any gosh. of your... I mean, I, I think you shooting that one. I was really good... do think that was the best. Missing the first time, <laughs> I think, actually is the best moment. Like, yeah, Jesus. how she was setting up, like, I'm going to do the awesome lethal headshot. Oh, Whoops, I missed. Yeah. Totally missed. Oh, oh, just terrible, terrible things. Um, yeah, that was pretty good. Anytime that Tom and I got to charge into battle together. Oh, yeah, because you were the two combat heads. Oh, man. That's, yeah. a, that's a heavy metal album cover. Yeah. Valkyrie with a sniper rifle riding the back of a giant Get crocodile. Yeah, yeah, basically. That was pretty epic. Airbrush and fans. Is this yes or yes. Genesis? Oh. No, wait. Not only that, but the crocodile is wearing Amazonian battle armor. Oh, yeah. I like because, you, deal. Well, sure. Yeah, I, mean, I also like the moment where we convinced the uh, football team to... <laughs> Join us. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right. That's that's right. It doesn't take much effort on you guys because Team Face already laid the seeds for that. Yeah. Yeah. We've kind of and then they decided this would be a bad idea. We probably shouldn't do this. And we were like, "Heck yeah, let's do this!" <laughs> <laughs> um, like we did. Melissa, what were some of your favorite moments of for Rosemary? I think any moment where she was trying to interact with Coyote was that was a good moment. I had a lot of good <laughs> moments of like. Grumpy David, Grandpa Wizard. Um, <laughs> Just you two bickering, basically. I guess. Well, no, not no. bickering of like Rosemary feeling slightly dumbfounded by him because that happened a lot. Um, <laughs> Okay. Let's just say, like, I am not the only possessor of the wet, flat what in yeah. the Sunwall family. Okay. Yeah, no, there, there were, there was a lot of that. Okay. Um, and I'm trying to remember. I'm having this vague. Pledge. You had yes. some good interactions. With I had Pledge. good interactions with Pledge, and then I have sort of this fun mental image of. David's character's house being in the middle of Frat Row. Oh, yeah. Do you remember this yeah, part? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, like, watching him interact with uh, drunk frat boys, like, that was particularly fun. Okay. Really like that moment. Yeah, it doesn't have to necessarily be your character, just your favorite yeah. moments in yes. uh, season one. Yeah. Uh, General Coyote stuff is great, especially the, like... Okay, well... With the book. You guys spent yeah, the entire yes. session bargaining with Coyote over that fucking right. book. Right, the Coyote yeah. parts of that were great. Like, Den has fun playing Coyote. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, what GM wouldn't have fun with an archetypal trickster guy. <laughs> right. You know? mm-hmm. Well, well I guess this might be season two. I forget. But <sighs> when we later managed to invite Coyote to divest himself of his moon portfolio. That was, that was season one. Was it? I think so. I don't think it was that fast to turn around. I no, think it's no, season two. no. You, oh. It was season two when you did that because yeah. 
as long as he had the moon portfolio up, he, that's where he was hiding the book. Mm-hmm. Because we told him to. Because we didn't break season oh, two. Oh, right, okay. We were still Team Guar and Team Face for the first yeah. part. We yeah. didn't. Yeah. Okay, that's true. That's yeah. what I'm getting confused, is that <laughs> some of our stuff was still season two. Yeah. Like with well, there was kind of a blend. Yeah. There was, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Kind of, okay. we did this, the finale and then kept going. And then like, kept, I mean, yeah, and yeah. then had part of season two so, and then the next, and then switched uh, teams. Yeah. So, Dan, mm-hmm. what about you as Game Master? What were your favorite? I mean, I had, oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> Child is your favorite, Dan. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, I have another new one. Giving all the characters nicknames when I couldn't remember their real names. Oh, Coming yeah. Coming up with Ghosty McGee. Ghosty McGee for Aaron's character. <laughs> getting so pissed. That was, yeah, that's always that's Do we always even good. know his actual name? It's just Marcus. Ghosty McGee, right? Yeah. No, I don't. Sure. <laughs> Until you said it. No, not yeah. a clue. Uh, yeah, no, that's always fun. Uh, Aaron to be a little bit salty. Uh, <laughs> um, favorite moments? Mm-hmm. Season one, I... Mm, the the highway battle was really good because I really enjoyed how Team Guar actually thought through what? how to set up an encounter. Yeah, it happens. Yeah, okay. uh, I mean that's why that led to that that that, that kind of planning stuff actually led to my favorite stuff in season two too. With, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, in Branson. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, yeah, keep on. Um, you guys negotiated with the Earl King early on, correct? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Oh, that was a good moment. You, I, I, oh. I very much enjoyed that. Sure, we have that? brought you a hunter. No, that was oh, that's right. Yeah, mm-hmm. unless you guessed. Because I was like, you both, uh, no, that, no, you brought him, you bringing him a hunter was a scene two thing. Season, oh, okay. Season yeah. one was where you negotiated a six month hunting. Thing. Yes. Oh yeah. And that was me because that was the whenever I finished up my uh, vignettes. Yeah. And I crossed over for like their first episode or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, Stealing all the cocaine. All of it. <laughs> oh, yeah, so we can get Marcus the and, Yeah. Yeah, Ghosty McGee and Slender that's Boy right. stealing all the cocaine from the cops. <laughs> I forgot all about that. That's right, that's right. Uh, oh, God. Yeah, so having... So, like, I, I did mention earlier, like, oh, I felt like characters are kind of too similar in abilities, but, like, then we made it work by just stealing everything. Right. Yes. When it was appropriate, but <laughs> when all you have is pickpocket hands, then everything Take looks like something things. you can pickpocket. Yep, I'm sh- pretty sure that's how that phrase goes. Yes. Um, so yeah. <laughs> uh, and I did like how the f- like I've had some reservations about making about having the crossover finale, especially with it worked good with the way the lineup set up of who showed up. Mm. I, not yeah. that I'm saying that those that the people that were in that session were bad players. It was just kind of a how is this gonna resolve? I, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was the, the one night I was working, Dad. Horrible way. I was out at Lake Stockton, watching them film a movie while I sat in a boat, <laughs> filling shot glasses with apple juice so they could do take after take. <laughs> Literally, it was my job that night. It nice. Prop manager for a movie, but I didn't mm-hmm. like. I did like the moment, and I think, Bill, you were the one that was the voice of reason during the finale. Oh. When... In the, in the like, two meta levels removed sense? Yes. When Aaron made a choice, and people started calling Aaron out based on knowledge of the fiction about the choice he was making. Was this, the, was this sticking his hand in the thing? Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. And I told those people... Why are you calling Aaron out on that? You've known Aaron longer than I have, so you know his pattern. So obviously, if you're calling him out on doing something, you must want him to do it harder. <laughs> Don't poke the bear. And you said this while Aaron was there, I said. Yes. Yeah. So Aaron was like, yeah, of course I'm doing it. Yeah. 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 He, got a, he, he got a little salt in his face yeah. about Until that. I pointed out that I was not saying anything offensive to him about yeah. him. Like... Yeah, I am not imputing his decision to usually double down when someone challenges him yep. for once. And I, I am imputing like, people who continue to do that when they think what he's doing is a bad idea, knowing that will only make him do it harder. And exposing yourself to a denarian is one of those things that I gave Aaron, I think, two or three chances to clarify what exactly <laughs> he was doing. So that way, well, I thought the thing about that was that he did not know that the coin was in the the thing that he was granting. Well, no. It was it was manifesting the thing. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was, Stick your hand in the evil thing. Yes, yeah. and, and that, so I just 
I just wanted to make sure because early on I was like, okay, Aaron, so your plot, your plan to deal with these Fomor, these Fomor servitors and foot soldiers, who we've already established are mostly still human, that you want to poltergeist and make a grenade ethereal until you deposit it in their body and you pull the pin on the way out. Right, he's doing the ghostly Kansas City shuffle. No. Yeah. So, like, so you're just murdering people in mass with grenades deposited in their chest cavities. <laughs> and now you yeah. want to do that yes. with the giant evil demon Fomor hybrid thing. <laughs> you just want to stick your hand right in there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a ghost hand. What Get harm could it do? Good damp. Oh god. <laughs> I wish I was. Good there, times. But... I know. Uh, well, just yeah. the look on everyone's face when it was just like, well, you. It's like Aaron. You, you can spend a fate point to avoid the really bad, or you can, yeah, you can spend a fate point to avoid the really bad, or, and it'll just be mostly bad. It's like, oh yeah, your hand's now branded with the mark of Barbados. Yay! Oops. Uh, which comes up, obviously, in season two a lot more. <laughs> so, <laughs> kind of the plot. Yeah. Uh, tiny bit. I know what you're laughing about. Yeah. I it's forgot funny what, what you're laughing about. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I feel like we've covered uh, campaign yeah. or season one pretty well in terms of highlights, mm-hmm. things, yeah. lesson learned. You know, uh, I mean, it's it was just a general yeah learning process for all. I mean, we all had fun, obviously. Oh uh, yes. Because uh, we kept playing. Uh, any final <laughs> thoughts? Uh, we'll just yeah. go around the thing, Michelle. Uh, no. Okay. Good. I, like I, I mean, what did you yeah. learn about learning oh. the same character over? I guess. Ooh. Um that I really need to work... Well, I don't know. I'm kind of half and half. We're a pretty casual group, yeah. so I don't feel like acting skills and maintaining a voice, you know, is, like, super important. Right. But maybe a little... <laughs> I decided I decided early on, I'm like, you know what, she's just going to be a little more cavalier and be like, hey, guys, cops, what's up? <laughs> you know, she's just going to be cool about it because that's... Well, adapting, oh, I know how to do you know, that. from your, I think it's okay to like, you, yeah. you envision your character as X, but then in right. play it comes out as Morse Y and be like, all right, yeah, I can embrace sure, the, yeah. the Y. Yeah. There not exactly. Yeah. The... There's the what I rolled, what the GM saw, what I played. Yeah. Yes, there you go. exactly. Um, yeah, for me, um, it's yeah, just embracing fate as a player, I think. I mean, um, and just learning more about the Dresden verse. And, and I think... Yeah. yeah, and part of that is as GMs and players, especially learning fate, is that coming to an understanding that the GM can make compels, but the players should also take some responsibility to invite compels. Yeah, no, definitely. Mm-hmm. Like, and I especially with a large group. With David's being gran- cranky wizard grandpa dad, uncle grandpa dad. I don't know how many more modifiers we can put on that. <laughs> Grunkle. Grunkle. Yeah. Was that? If David was more open about saying, you know, I'm trying to play, I'm trying to invite a fate point by playing up Grumpy Wizard Dad, I would like a fate point for that. Mm-hmm. You know, that would have been more understanding. Oh, that's what you're doing. I just need you to give you your fate point so that we can move on. Yeah. Right. And with so many of us being I mean, new I, to the I, setting, I, I, yeah. I, I think we, something we right. have learned is yeah. that there is sort of an adjustment of mind and uh, mm-hmm. expectations from playing fake. Because, like, mm-hmm. you know, D&D and other role-playing games are more like, you're. It's a, it, I would say it's like a video game, but, like, you're trying to 100%. It's like a challenge and your character mm-hmm. has to overcome. Mm-hmm. And the more challenges overcome, the better off you are. Mm-hmm. Where in fate is... The more potholes you can hurl yourself into face first early on, right. the better off you'll be when you get to the ballroom and you'll be the belle of the ball or something right. like that. So, Which is why yeah. fate is so good at Dresden because yes. Dresden exactly is like approaching 20 stories of getting beaten up until yeah. you one shot something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Until you're awesome. Yeah. 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 Basically. And, and that's like how a lot of fiction is, weirdly mm-hmm. enough. Yeah. Uh, but changing your mindset to that kind of expectation is is mm-hmm. a bit of a like it's counterintuitive for a lot of players right. know, some more than others yeah. um, and that's the way you know with this I think what the other games I've played before there seemed like there was a lot more direction mm-hmm. so I was expecting you walk up to a cave do you go in or do you not right. you, know, you turn away right. whereas this was more like 
you're here. What are you going to do? Yeah. Oh, it's God. Be a few yeah. differences exactly. One shots and campaigns. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And okay. so getting into that mindset of, oh, I have to come up with, you know, some of the story and I have to figure yeah, out the what's collaborative. the best way. It's yeah. not just the game master throwing stuff at you. Right. You have to give, throw stuff back at him. And I think finally by season two, I finally got more into that. But yeah, yeah first exactly. I was just like, I don't know. What are my choices? Yeah. <laughs> I will say, yeah, like, I do. without like, tooting my own horn too much here or anything but like one of the things now that I think I understand a little better and that reminds me the most of Fate is the one shot of Dying Earth oh yeah that yeah. brand that like you three played in cause uh -huh. like it really ends up being the same kind of cadence it just tries a little harder to pull that adversarial and you're gonna get beat mm -hmm. feeling out so, yeah, yeah you're not always gonna win every yeah. time. and you're not supposed to yeah. right uh, that's true. Um, so, Melissa, were there any lessons that you learned? Uh, or, like, what have you taken away from season one? Well, I think that uh, as far as Rosemary is concerned, I accidentally, like, she accidentally became a ditz for a minute, which mm -hmm. I realized, oh, that's really not what I want to do, because playing that long term in a campaign is just a terrible, terrible idea. Right. <laughs> um, and so, like, trying to figure out how to retract that, but in a way that made sense and like felt natural, which um, I think is season two. Um, the gets, mentor. Yeah, yeah, like that gets accomplished and is getting more and more accomplished. Um, but I think like fate to me, the mental switch is investigative games in D and D. It's all about like the doing. Like mm -hmm. you're constantly doing. It's like what's the next thing I'm supposed to do? And fate right. feels much more like a let's just sort of you know. Explore and see and be and, and just it's well, a little it, less procedural versus dramatic. Yeah, yeah. it's and, it's more character focused. Yeah, mm -hmm. and that like I think that just sort of figuring that out and knowing how do you still play a game scare quotes um, in the midst of doing that like how does that actually happen and so I think by the end of season one and definitely in season two that gets more figured out and I think like as we all get better at it. It really shifts because everybody's getting better at it together, and that makes it. Yeah, I think difference. there's a certain thing of like every there's learning the group, and like mm -hmm. everyone starts out learning this sort of group. Every group dynamic is different, even if it's the same yeah. players. Well, same exactly. players, different system, different characters. It's a new. Can't it's a new. In the same river twice. Yeah. Exactly, and well, you, you can't play the same game twice. And so. group dynamics matter so much more. Yeah. In a yes. fake game and in a oh, dramatic yeah. game than it does in a procedural. Because in a procedural, like even if you have a character that you're, you know, don't really mesh with or don't know what to do with, you're still just doing the thing. Like let's yeah. just get yeah. the thing. Let's punch that monster. Still rolls. Yeah, and yeah. and this is not like yeah. not that way. Yeah, at because all. like even if you don't have a fighter, wizard, you know, cleric, rogue, you right. can just if you have two thieves, you can have them solve the problem just as well by yeah. stealing all the cocaine in yes. the right. dungeon. Uh, wait, we got a little lost there, but... <laughs> Metaphor drift! Uh, yeah. Metaphor drift! Yeah, just, just a tiny bit. Um, what's in those pies? Yeah, what's in those pies? Uh, so, yeah, any final thoughts, uh, Dan? Um... I think we've covered pretty much everything. Yeah, yeah I just want to give you. Springfield. It's a rich tapestry. Yeah, it's a rich tapestry. Listen to it, comment on it, give me feedback because I want it to continue. Yeah, like maybe not run it so hard, so all the time, but be able to come back and run three or four sessions of it as. Yeah, as you're adapting on. the campaign structure as yeah. time goes on. So mm -hmm. season three will be different. And I need to know what people like and what people don't. Yes, please comment uh, on Tabletop Tales uh, on the sites or on the forums or on our Facebook group. Uh, also, Armored Each Files. Yeah. That's a thing I do. That's a thing. <laughs> plug, plug, plug. Plug, plug, plug. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're still doing a lot of campaigns. Uh, it's a, yeah, Tabletop Tales campaign-focused podcast. Uh, it's on the big button on the right. We'll have links in the show notes, too. So. And I'll have a campaign page with all of season one episodes in order. So just link all right. Uh, well, uh, we'll uh, talk to you next time. It's Dresdenverse. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you.